Hello and welcome to another episode of the Project Purple Podcast. I'm Dino Verley, founder and CEO of Project Purple. And we've got another interview for you coming up with a very special guest. After a few quick updates, 2022 was a record year and we just want to thank everyone who made it so special. It was our best year ever and we could have not done it without the support of our many participants, donors, and supporters throughout the whole year. And we look forward to 2023 being even bigger. Uh, Currently, uh, we're recruiting, believe it or not, for a lot of our fall half marathons and full marathon teams. Our spring teams are sold out which is great. Here we are in uh, as we record this in January, and uh, most of our spring teams, our New York City half, and our London marathon teams are full. Uh, we still have some spots in some of our other spring marathons and half marathons, uh, but we've got so many races coming to our community in 2023. Um, so if you're interested, check our website. Also locally here in Connecticut, uh, we've got our golf outing coming up on June 5th. Come golf with us. And we also have plenty of sponsorship opportunities if you're available. And also be on the lookout for many of our virtual events this year as we bring back our four signature events. We've already launched our Purple Patties, which happens over St. Patrick's weekend in March. That is up and running. And to learn more about all these events, Visit our website, projectpurple.org, and make sure to follow us on all social media channels wherever you are on social to stay updated. Without further ado, let's meet our special guest coming to us all the way from the Austin, Texas area, pancreatic cancer survivor, Judy TCA. Judy, thank you for joining us here on the Project Purple Podcast. I said your last night correctly, correct? You did. You did. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Yes. Well, thank you. And and we were playing uh, catch up before we hit record, uh, just getting to know each other. This is the first time we've interacted. I know we've been uh, interacted via email. You sent me kind of your um, your status update on uh, yeah. Navigator, Patient Navigator, mm-hmm. uh, which I appreciate that. So I've got kind of a, an idea of where you are in terms of treatment-wise. Um, but our first segment in our podcast is always our guest opportunity to kind of share their journey with pancreatic cancer. I know you started to talk a little bit about it. And I was yeah. like, hey, wait a minute, let's get this on recording because yeah. <laughs> I just, I love hearing it for the first time just as our guests are hearing it for the first time. Right, right. Um, and our first part of our segment here at the podcast is always our guest opportunity to kind of share that background. Mm-hmm. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to hand the mic over to you, as I say, um, and this is really your opportunity to share with our audience your journey with pancreatic cancer. And I always- sure preface this by saying you can uh, you could say as high level as you want, or you can go in, de- in depth as you want. And with that, the microphone is yours, Judy, to share your journey with pancreatic cancer with mm-hmm. our audience. Well, thank you very much. Um, first, let me just say, I am not a medical person. So with everything that was going on, I was the worst person to even pay attention to what was happening. So I, I'm more in the finance area, and so, but I do have a number of siblings that work in um, the cancer area and everything else. And so what happened to me, it was at the start of COVID, I started having these weird, weird symptoms, uh, one of them being dark urine and um, some heartburn. And I thought, well, this is odd because I've never had heartburn before. And then I thought, i the dark urine is what really got me. And then, so I said, maybe I need to go see my primary doctor. So I had made an appointment and um, I was going to go in. And right before I went in, I turned like completely jaundice 
And my sister came up to see me. She was like, Judy, something's wrong with you. I said, yeah, I'm getting lab work done. Everything's going to be okay. Never, ever did we ever think it would be cancer because cancer just wasn't in our vocabulary, wasn't in our family. Um, And so um, I did go see my doctor. She did some lab work. She did do an abdominal, um, uh, you know, whatever that thing is called, where they look and they, and they noticed that there was like a blockage at the head of my pancreas. And so I had to go see my GI doctor. And this, as I said, was at the beginning of, of um, COVID. So people weren't making appointments. They weren't seeing anything, but because this was a serious and non-elective type thing, I got right into my GI and then he got me right in for, um, oh, what's it called? Endoscopic ultrasound. Yes. Yes. And and they did the uh, biopsy and they had to put a stent in, which relieved it. And then from there, they moved me very, very quickly to the oncologist team, which were absolutely wonderful. And again, all this time, I never thought anything about it. I thought, oh, it's okay. They're going to take care of this. Um, it was, uh, my, I had a surgeon and I had an oncologist and they were working, you know, I guess it was very early on. It was at the head of my pancreas. Um, and they scheduled me for chemo. And then I went in for a Whipple surgery at, which was something else. And I was um, labeled 1B, I guess it was. So it was very good, you know, prognosis in terms of pancreatic cancer. And all this time I'm like, oh, they're just going to fix this. You know, everything's going to be okay. My naivety really kind of saved me. Plus the fact that um, I really didn't know what was going on. I was just going through the process and I knew people were going to take care of this. Um, I had mentioned earlier, I had been working and I actually had to end up quit working um, and retired. And I had said, you know, I'd sent out, I didn't want anybody to know anything about this and they couldn't call me, but they could send me notes and letters if they wanted to. And I was so overwhelmed and uh, blessed with the response I was getting. And again, people couldn't visit because it was COVID. So nobody could come see you or anything else. And Every single one of my appointments in hospital was by myself because we couldn't have people there. Uh, so it was okay. I thought, well, this is just normal. Um, so I did that and got put on a real heavy um, chemo regimen, which, ugh, the flora, I'll say it wrong. Flornox. Yeah. And Flofernox or whatever. It was a 14 day cycle. Yep. Um, and it was, it was I actually ended up in the ER because I was dehydrated and my doctor came in and, and I, I don't, I said, well, what are you doing here? He was checking on me and I'm like, oh, well, that's so nice of you. So I had a really good team. Um, and, you know, I was moving along. The Whipple surgery was like five hours. And I remember speaking to the surgeon who I had already met and knew. And, and when he came into the room, I asked if he was there. He said, yeah. I was there for like five hours. I said, oh, ding, ding, ding. You know, you get a little dingy, et cetera. Um, but uh, the, re- the recovery was okay. It, was, it wasn't difficult. I was up and about pretty, pretty quickly. Um, and so, you know, I was very fortunate to be able to have that done. Um, and then just kind of proceeded along where they were checking me. I was still in chemo, doing blood tests. And my C-19s had all come down. Um, And then uh, 
The scans were always sketchy though. My CT scan would sometimes lead to a PET scan or to an MRI or something. So, because there's so much going on in your body at that time. Um, but looking at, my, looking at my notes that I sent you to see how I'd done. Well, so. I know, yeah, you did. So just looking at the, the chart you sent me, so you had the original diagnosis of adenocarcinoma of the pancreas. Correct. Uh, borderline resectable. You went in for your, your cycles of uh, neoadjuvant treatment, mm-hmm. uh, which is previous. And then you had the Whipple. Yes. Post Whipple. And then what they do now, not what they do now, but I think- the the protocol has changed a bit over the years, right? Mm-hmm. I think in the original, I, I guess if we look back, and I don't know the exact dates, I just know from being in this space for as long as I have for the last 12 right. years, I know people who were borderline resectable sometimes would do chemo or wouldn't. And then, mm-hmm. you know, there were some people that when they get the diagnosis of pancreatic cancer in the past, like my dad, for example, mm-hmm. my dad was a Whipple candidate. He didn't do chemo before, he did chemo right. post. Right. So I think now, like now that's like the protocol is like, hey, let's give people like a couple rounds, try to knock everything down, right. get everything that might be not seen on the MRIs or on the scans Correct. and then go Correct. in and, and do the surgery and then follow that up with, with more chemo, more chemo mm-hmm. assuming that anything else that's straggling around is knocked down. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Which, and that's which what happened kind of, with me. Yeah. Which is kind of the protocol of, of mm-hmm. choice. Uh, probably 90, I would say probably 95% of the time now mm-hmm. with people that have, um, you know, a, a, an option to have surgery. Mm-hmm. So w- going through all that though, and I, I want to bring up this question because it's not that far behind us. You know, when we think about COVID, I mean, now it's like, it's kind of crazy. Like we look back and go, what? Like you were by yourself, like mm-hmm. you went in every appointment by yourself. It's mm-hmm. kind of like super foreign. Mm-hmm. I know we had had people on the podcast during that time. I remember a, young, a couple in South Carolina that talked about this similar experience where, you know, the wife would drive up to the door, the husband would get out, he'd have a binder and he'd go in and then she'd wait in the parking lot and he'd come out, mm-hmm. you know, because yeah. at that time no one was going in or out mm-hmm. other than the patient. So correct. I, I got to imagine though, Judy, that had to be a little, well, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but what was that experience like? Because I mean, well, you're, you're dealing with this, and I know you said you're not like the medical person, you're right? the finance yes. person, but you yes. still have this reality of like right. you, you have cancer and you're going in mm-hmm. by yourself. Mm-hmm. Well, I and that's exactly what would happen. My husband would drop me off, and he would wait. Well, especially during chemo, which that first round was like five hours. Every, yeah, he would wait in the um, parking lot or go for, go to Sam's or go somewhere. Um, I did do have, well, she used to actually work at Texas oncology, which is the the place where I went. And so sometimes she would be able to come in when I'm, I was talking to my doctor. So that was nice. Um, but other than that, you go into, you, you, you do a lot of waiting you know, because I've got to draw blood. You got to wait for the blood to get reviewed. You so you for a lot and, and you're sitting there and I'm like, okay. So I had my phone. Um, I might, I couldn't read because my eyes were going like wacky, but, um, I would have the phone and look at it, but it, it was actually incredibly calming too. It was just being alone, you know, thinking, okay. But when it came down to what was going on, I thought, oh, I hope I remember this, but they have those <laughs> now. 
you can yeah, go, in go in with what they say. Yeah. Um, and sometimes I didn't understand what was happening to, to my body. I had horrible edema to the point where I couldn't, uh, it was in the second round after the Whipple, I couldn't stand up or sit up. I had to have help with that. Mm. Biggest fear was I'm going to get stuck in this chair. I'm not going to be able to get out. And I would have to reach onto people and they would pull me up, but I had to depend on the, the medical staff that was there. And that's, little girl came to help me up. I said, Oh, you're not, you're not going to be able to get me up. You're, you're too tiny. Go get Lawrence. who was the nurse. I said, he can get me up, but you can't get me up. You know? So stuff like that. I went to the bathroom and I thought, oh, I'm going to get stuck on the toilet and yeah. I door and I couldn't unlock the door. And then it was like, the door is locked. We can't get in to help you. And so it was like, Oh, trying to get myself up. Um, but it, it, so during the COVID, as I had mentioned earlier, I guess we didn't say is that it speeded my process through. Yep. You are on it alone, you know, because you get dropped off, you go in, you wait and you watch. And the saddest thing to me is I'd be sitting there waiting to go to the fusion room and these elderly people would come in. I said, they are so confused. They don't know what's happening. You know, because they're by themselves. They didn't have anyone with them. They didn't have somebody taking them through. So I was probably more worried about everybody else than I was about myself. And fortunately for me, I had the same nurses in the infusion room. So they were really great and helpful. And if I was like in the wrong place, they would come and get me. So it was just, it's just something that was happening. And I thought, okay. Then when it opened up, I was like, oh, I really like being by myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I was just going to say is like, so, you know, the negative, right, is like, yeah, you're by yourself and that's a lonely place, right? Other mm -hmm. than like the staff there and then other patients, right. I'm sure. But, you know, there's no distractions, right? Like there's right. no one there to distract mm -hmm. you or, mm -hmm. you know, to kind of keep you. Um, but then when it opens up, it's a lot different, right? And yes. it's a different uh -huh. experience. And I... And I I mean, I, I think everyone knows what they need, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I think though, it, it's just a, it, it, I guess my point here is like, it's not that far away. Like we're a year and a half mm -hmm. out of yeah. that whole experience. It's just, mm -hmm. it's almost like this psychological messing that we, we've done with our medical community in the sense mm -hmm. that. Like I, I went to the doctor, I had to go get an MRI last week and it was like, do I need a mask? Do I not need a right. mask? Right. Like mm -hmm. it was adjacent to the hospital. It wasn't in the hospital, but it was adjacent to it. Mm -hmm. So I, and then when I got into the MRI machine, she's like, well, you don't have to wear the mask. And I'm like, okay, yeah. so why did I wear one coming in? <laughs> like coming it doesn't, in, right? Yeah. Like yes. if I don't have yeah. to wear one in the machine, <laughs> yes. like, but it's like yeah. this cycle, but it's psychological, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's a psych, mm -hmm. like psychological warfare that we've gone through, mm -hmm. you know, and, and I know we didn't know what we know now. I'm not right. trying to put blame on anything. It's just, it's just a lot different. And and I, to your point though, and I have heard this, like the one benefit was because the other things weren't happening, mm -hmm. people were moving a lot faster through the right. system. And right. that's a positive because I do feel like mm -hmm. our medical system here, sometimes you can find these barriers to oh, get- yeah to get started in treatment or to mm -hmm. get through to the right doctor. And clearly the volume just wasn't there for mm -hmm. the obvious, mm -hmm. but hopefully people were moving along and getting treatment sooner mm -hmm. and getting answers a lot quicker than they probably normally would have given right. 
you know, the sheer volume being down. Mm -hmm. When they took down, they had put all these like plastic things around. When you go to check in, you were behind a plastic screen or whatever. Those are all gone. It was so weird to me to walk in. So where's, where's my protection from you? Yeah. I, I do have a friend who's going through some cancer stuff right now. And I'm thinking you're not going to go for another month before you can get this checked out. And it's like, yeah. uh, you know, so it's like, so in, in, in that respect, COVID was somewhat of a blessing. Correct. Correct. Right. So to go back to your notes here. So you have mm-hmm. the post adjuvant chemotherapy mm-hmm. with that regimen and then it looks like they go from a Flafluorinox, you were on the Flafluorinox before, and then the Fulfox after. Mm-hmm. But right. then somewhere in between there, you get this stage 1A grade of yes. uterine carcinoma. Right. Mm-hmm. So now this thing pops up. Before we get there, mm-hmm. genetic testing, anywhere mm-hmm. along the way, because I know you said there really wasn't a family history, but now that mm-hmm. we see the secondary primary cancer show right. up- was there genetic testing done or afterwards, was it talked about yeah. afterwards? Okay. Yeah, they did a they did the genetic testing after that. And the only reason this came up because I was getting a scan done for the pancreatic. And then they like, you know, you get these bullet points and findings. And it said the very last one was something's happening. I think it was the PET scan. You know, you lit up down below, you need to go get it checked. Hmm. And so um it was because of pancreatic cancer and being followed up for that, that they found this in my uh, endometrial cancer. And the two were separate. They were, uh, one was not related to the other. Um, So I had a hysterectomy, but because there was some kind of serous cell, I then Mm -hmm. go through uh, chemo and radiation for that one. So I was already, you know, and that's when with the pancreatic cancer, my hair thinned out. I didn't lose it with the endometrial. The second session, I was like completely bald. Um, and what happened there is then they did the genetic testing and I was, it was not in clean. My, yeah. Well, I think I mentioned earlier, I have five sisters and they all actually went and got tested themselves and there well, was yeah. nothing, you know, there. So this was not, in my genetics, which is good for my family, you know, so. So where you are now, I know the notes here continue to do well. Blood Mm -hmm. work looks outstanding. Uh, You're you're currently, it looks like your status is post-cycle number four chemotherapy. So, which is interesting. Now you're on a Braxine and Gemzitabine. Right. Because I had a recurrence. Recurrence. Uh, One thing after the Whipple surgery that I had was a hernia. You know, and it was like, um, you know, from the scars, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So um, I had to get hernia repair. And while my surgeon was in there, he saw a little nodule. And so he uh, biopsied it and he said, well, this is cancer. But there, that was the only thing that I had. So they went in and also uh, later, my uh, oncologist did an exploratory thing where they blew me up and, you know, went in and looked and I had nothing. There was no signs of cancer whatsoever. So, you know, we were just continuing on. And then um, my next CT scan was questionable. And so they blew me up again with the, you know, they put the gas and they go in and look. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
which is better than the scans, I guess, or, you know, they were actually inside of me. Um, what's that called? Um, it, well, exploratory ab something. Appendectomy. Yeah. So they did that and they found that I have, it's in my peritoneal. So I've had a recurrence. And so that's why I'm on the, um, the new regiment of what I'm on. So, um, and that was back in September. So we were talking about September 22, the cancer comes back. Mm-hmm. Um, this time it's this reoccurrent metastatic disease uh, with uh, peritoneal involvement, which I believe that's, is that in the stomach lining? Yeah, it's, line, yeah. it's more than just the stomach lining. It's the lining that holds all your organs in it. Yep. Yep. It looks like I had pictures because they sent me pictures. They look like little um, pockets of um, pus modules that are throughout you know, in the stomach. And so um, the last scan I had showed, you know, no, pro- the, the progression, it hasn't progressed to anything else yet. It's, it's not progressed to any of my organs or anything, mm-hmm. which, which is good. Um and basically my oncologist had told me he's very upfront he's got a good bedside manner, but he, he did say this is a tall order for really an incurable disease. And so this is a, something this regiment is hopefully will sustain, you know, the quality of life and let me go on for, you know, some more time. So that's, that's what we're hoping for, you know, so um, is to keep it going. And, and this, what I'm on is, is been, it's every two weeks and I only sit for two hours. So it's not mm-hmm. as before. And my only side effect has been that I've lost my hair and I still have my eyebrows though. <laughs> and I, I don't have any trouble with uh, eating or nauseous, but they give you some great anti-nauseous medicine now these days. So yeah, there's no trouble with that. So the, the, and I just want to go back the the mm-hmm. pelvic issues, the hysterectomy, the uterine mm-hmm. cancer, like that's been taken care of, knocked yeah, out, the... no problem. So right. it, it's kind of, it's kind of wild because like, if you didn't have the original adenocarcinoma, the pancreas, you probably wouldn't have found about, about the, exactly. the cancer mm-hmm. and the uterus, Endometrial. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Correct. so you knock totally. that out. But then now mm-hmm. you're in routine screen, scanning and screening, so you see that. So I, I want to go back to the very beginning. And I know you said mm-hmm. family history, no history of cancer, everyone's been healthy. Mm-hmm. When you said you you had really weird symptoms, you said, I mean, the jaundice one gets everyone. And I say right. it gets everyone in the sense like whenever that happens, like something's know, wrong, something's yeah. wrong, right? Like right. you turn mm-hmm. yellow, like you got to mm-hmm. go to the doctor and- and usually GPs are pretty good of mm-hmm. signaling like something's going on with the pancreas, your bile duct, like that. Region. Right. The bile duct is what they were thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause there's usually that clog in there and that's mm-hmm. what creates the, the jaundice uh, mm-hmm. to occur because of the buildup. But you said dark urine was like, mm-hmm. so when you say dark, I mean, not to get, I mean. Like but, coffee colored. Wow. It was dark. Yeah. It was dark. And I thought this is so unusual. And, um, my bowel movements were still pretty regular. Uh, that was a little bit right before I went and saw my GI cause he started naming these things and heartburn. I've never had heartburn before. And I thought, Oh my, you know, what did I eat? I mean, so I took some Tums. Then my, uh, 
my surgeon said, do you, were you scratching? I said, no. And then he lifted up my shirt. He goes, well, you've been scratching somewhere. I said, well, I thought I had an itch or something. Yeah. The scratching, the itchingness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's Mm -hmm. another symptom that I think Mm -hmm. a lot of times, but like, okay, the dark, super dark urine, that's a little weird, but heartburn, Mm -hmm. itching, Mm -hmm. like you could put on a wool sweater, right? And people have allergic Mm -hmm. reactions or eat something really Mm -hmm. strange or unique. You can get heartburn, Mm -hmm. but also get, you know, break out in hives, right? Correct. from eating Something. like the wrong foods. Yeah. So mm-hmm. that's pretty crazy. But I, I mean, I guess it's kudos to you for realizing something was up. Kudos yeah. to the team, um, the doctor there. I mean, the jaundice piece is really like the the smoking gun, right? Like once right. that happens, then, right. you know, things seem to move pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Um so this all started before COVID. You've been going yes. through this experience through the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, clearly now as we enter 23, you're in this current treatment. So it's kind of been like this roller coaster though of treatment protocols and mm-hmm. like we were Take saying, like scans. the scans. And mm-hmm. I got to imagine like the first scans, granted those were the first ones, but again, going back to like during COVID, you're in there by yourself. Now you mm-hmm. have the ability to bring a loved one in or, you know, mm-hmm. there's more people involved or, you know, whatever mm-hmm. that case may be. So I got to ask this first question. This is like a roller coaster. Like oh, any is. cancer is a roller coaster, but mm-hmm. given you started during COVID, you mm-hmm. battled through COVID, you got through mm-hmm. that process and mm-hmm. now you're back again, you know, through this process. Like... How's that been for you? Well, I've learned a whole lot more about the anatomy that I have to do. I mean, I never, you know, I just, I never thought about the pancreas about anything or, you know, stuff like that or, and my blood work, you know, the blood work has been very interesting and and they are always taking blood work and, you know, you're anemic because of the chemo, you know, so I'm on iron pills. So, you know, I've learned to read my charts a lot better knowing because what what is interesting is like i i don't want my works to be so bad that i can't go get my chemo it's like oh i want no you know because i know that's going to be helping me and that's that's kind of interesting oh i also had i forgot what it's called but where you're really susceptible to infection um i forgot what you call that so you know i look at those numbers you know that's where you have to like wash all your food make sure that you wash your hands and that you're away from people that might be sick because your defense systems are, are way down, you know, things get knocked out. So, but you do get scan anxiety, you know, because you get those scans and often you get the results before you see your doctor. And so it's like, Oh, how do I interpret this? You know? So it's like, oh, okay, we'll just wait. Is that good? Is that bad? You know, um, worried about liver, worried about kidneys, um, and, you know, just, just the spread of it. So, yeah, it's, it's so, an up. I, I got to ask you a question. You mentioned you have five sisters um, mm-hmm. and you said this before, you're not a medical person at all, but though, then you just said something and I've been taking notes. You said, but you want the chemo to, to help you. Cause you know, that helps you. Right. So you said a couple of these things and, and I'm not, and how do I say this? Like the way you're dealing with this, I think is helping you. 
mm-hmm. because of the things you said. Me as the listener here, like maybe not being that medical person, not being knee deep in mm-hmm. in the trenches mm-hmm. of the medical dialogue, you know, is probably a benefit here, right? Because oh, yeah. you're just going, you're just going. Yeah, mm-hmm. and this is and then, the course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you realize like, Hey, chemo is going to help me, but you know, the numbers are what they numbers, but I want to keep those numbers good so I can do the chemo. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. with your family and like, we call it kind of a team, do you have someone on the team? That's like that medical person. That's kind of, yes, I have one off? sister. Yeah. I have one sister who's, who's worked. She actually just retired from Texas psychology. She was in a different department and she looked at it. And my husband also did so much research. And so he's, very, very knowledgeable, especially when he first found out. He was like five hours looking things up. I quit quit looking. And I have other sisters, you know, they get um, involved in the, um, neither here nor there, the dietary, you know, things yep. that don't, you know, do this, but they help me a lot. And then I have um, some very good friends that have really rallied behind me, you know, in, in my church and, um, and old dear, dear friends that have, like come out to see me and me to see them. So um, when this reoccurrence occurred, I just said, this is what it is. Um, here, you, here you can go read about it. <laughs> so I sent, sent out the thing. Um, and my one sister had sent this, it's in her peritoneum, you know, so it's in the lining that is holding everything in. You know, so it's inoperable because you can't operate on that. Right. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I've, I've, as I said, I've just learned a lot by doing it, but again, I just am, am moving, you know, one, one day at a time, you know, that's what I'm taking. I wake up and say, thank goodness. You know, thank you, Lord. I woke up. Um, and then my son, I have a son, he's in the seminary. Uh, he's actually in Rome, but this year he's in, um, the diocese of Boston. So, this year he's been here. So he's been uh, for a pastoral year. So he's been with me. And then I have a daughter who's a professor at North Carolina and they have come and stayed with us during the breaks. And they have two little adorable two-year-old and a four-year-old. And so those have been my lifelines. You know, they're just, you know, just, they're just oh my, it was wrong. You don't have any hair. No, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, what can I do? What can I say? It's like, you know, I do as much as I can. I incredible trust in my doctors, you know, and, and what they've been doing for me. Very, very good uh, medical team and a very good support system with my family and friends. So that's pretty powerful. I, I mean, it's almost, um, I'm not, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but it's mm-hmm. like this acceptance, like you, mm-hmm. you, you have that, uh, vulnerability, I guess, in mm-hmm. the sense, like you accept the fact that like, Hey, mm-hmm. this is in my doctor's hands. Mm-hmm. My family's here to support me. Mm-hmm. I'm here mm-hmm. to just make sure I can make those numbers every week. So you're right. Like you just mm-hmm. want that chemo to get into you so that, mm-hmm. you know, it can do what it's supposed to do. Keep, keep going. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's do you, really where I am. Do you, now this is a loaded question. Mm-hmm. Is that how you've always lived your life? I know you said you were in finance. So, I, I, you know, or is this something that like, there was this point where you got diagnosed and then you realized like, hey, like you mm-hmm. said, hey, I looked at, like you just said something like your husband looked at it for five hours. You looked at it for like a half, like, I don't know what you said. It was a very short period of time. And then you're like, I'm done. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> so is that like the finance, like, or just like a, the way that you are like, well, you know, when you, so there, I forget what it's called, but I was like a fixer. I could fix these things. And I realized I can't fix this on my own. You know, mm. so I have to depend on things. I'm a lot um, calmer than what I had been in my, you know, pre this, because uh, it was get these done. Here's the numbers. Let's work it out and push it out. So now it's like, okay, here are the numbers. You know, this is this is what we have to do, and this is where we are. It's it's a I am different than what I was, but you know, pre cancer, I, I do know that much more. Um, always always had a strong faith based system, but but now it's like, well, I, now I have the time to spend more time on that. So that's what I'm doing. You know, and um, reconnecting with friends. I I had done something a little different during November, which is Pancreatic Cancer Awareness Month. I had bought all these um, handkerchiefs with purple flowers on them, embroidered, and I had them blessed by our deacon. And I sent them to my prayer warriors, people that were praying. And I just said, thank you so much for, it was almost like a goodbye, but it wasn't a goodbye letter. It was just, I just want you to know that I appreciate so much the support that you have given me. And so I sent that, I had about 28 of them. And I sent them out and people were writing back to me or calling me, Judy, I said, yeah, I just wanted you to have that handkerchief. And then um, with my family in Texas, there's a thing called, I love you so much. It's a, a it's a, something written somewhere on a wall somewhere. So I'd gotten that for some very close friends. I said, I want you to know that I love you and I know you love me. And so it's been really quite you know, plus I do sign up last year. I couldn't do it. I did sign up again this year for the purple. Um, oh, purple stride. Yeah. Stride is in April. Yeah. yeah and yeah. I'm hoping I can get, you know, get it done this year. Um, last year, I, I don't remember why I signed up and, you know, got some funds in, but I actually didn't get to walk. I think I was in North Carolina. That might happen to me again, but I just had a sister say, well, if you do that, then I'll go and walk for you. Lead, you know, lead the team. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. I, I, I want to talk about faith because uh, mm-hmm. you've mentioned it. And, um, you know, we talk about faith a lot on the podcast mm-hmm. uh, with survivors. And, and I think there's a couple of tenants, I guess I would say, that I've seen. I don't know, Judy, we've had we've had a lot of guests that, that have been survivors, fighters. Mm-hmm. I, and, and, and I've got to say there's these, these common tenants that I see. Mm-hmm. Um, and faith is one of the the four common tenets that I see. Mm-hmm. Can we talk a little bit about? I know you mentioned a little bit about that just now with what you've done, and you mentioned your son. Um, I was raised Roman Catholic, so mm-hmm. uh, you know mm-hmm. I, I kind of I, I I've seen that firsthand. I don't go to church every Sunday anymore, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Uh, but it's still who I. It's still Glad a huge part of. <laughs> it's 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 still uh who mm-hmm. I am, right? Yes. But mm-hmm. but the one thing that I have seen um in in you know in this disease and, and it's not necessarily Roman Catholicism but you know mm-hmm. Judaism oh, Islam sure. you know um uh, but just having a a, a really deep rooted mm-hmm part of that journey in faith mm-hmm. and what that does for people is just so powerful. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned, so you were, you were a believer in mm-hmm. your faith before you got sick. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what, what has that been for you during this journey of, of battling cancers? 
and in particular well, pancreatic cancer? It it has been comforting to me and still um, bringing me hope. I've never had in the Catholic faith, they do an anointing of the sick or it's, it's people used to think of it as last rites, but they do it for anyone that's going through something very. And I have had, had that done before the surgery, before something else, had it like three times. And every time it has brought me peace and comfort to know um, just the sheer luck of being able to um, have my son home this year. He's actually not here. He's in Colleen, Texas, but his, his uh, thing is mom, just taking this one day at a time. And for us, I mean, for many people, this is, you know, temporal, you know, so it's our eternity that's most important. Of course, we never want to go. <laughs> I want to stay and I want to be around and everything. But, you know, I no one knows when they're going to die. I mean, you don't know when it's going to happen. Uh, carpe diem is what my one doctor said. You know, seize the, seize seize the, the day. Seize the day, yeah. And another one is never... Um, never lose an opportunity to experience joy, you know? So it's like, just know that you, as I said, I woke up I'm here, going to seize the day. So for me, it's given me, um, you know, a lot of comfort and hope because I'm still here and I'm, I hope to be here longer. Um, and what happens will happen, but it could happen to anybody at any time at any place. Yeah. But so that's where I am right now. So powerful. Uh, because I, 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 you know, again, I've seen it from so many people that, that have positive experiences that faith is just becomes that big thing. And I think part of that as, as you, you know, acceptance, right. Mm -hmm. And understanding, um, I just had a gentleman on who, you know, Buddhism, he was a oh, Buddhist, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. and, and there's, there's a very, you know, they, 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 they accept that like death mm -hmm. is part of what they accept. And I, we're and I all going to die. We're all going to die. Right. Yeah. And, I, and I get it. Mm -hmm. Like socially, I think here, especially in the American culture, it's a very mm -hmm. taboo subject. No one talks mm -hmm. about it, but as we have seen in history, like how do we get through really tough things? We have to have these tough conversations. Right. And mm -hmm. the more we talk about them, like the, I think the better as a society we become in dealing mm -hmm. with those, right? And mm -hmm. not having like freakouts and not right. uh, ruining lives or, or mm -hmm. pissing off loved ones, but you gotta mm -hmm. have those conversations. They're not easy conversations yes. no. by any yeah. means, but they're, mm -hmm. they're important conversations. Mm -hmm. um, like my husband and I got everything. We went back and got things in order. We got our wills in order. We got our um, pre- I don't know what you call it, pre-planning in order for yep. um, burial, et cetera. So, because I didn't want to leave a burden for my children. We purged a lot of stuff. We still have way too <laughs> you know, pictures. Oh my gosh. You know, so it's like, okay, well, I don't want to leave this mess with them. Let, let me go. While I was waiting for you, I was like flipping through some pictures. Going, I don't know who these people are. Trash they go. So, you know, it, it just planning, um, like the funeral mass and stuff, you know, so just, just different things. So we, we've got that done, you know, it's been like a burden released. Yeah. But so. it's, it's, it's powerful. It's powerful mm -hmm. to, to have these conversations, to share mm -hmm. those things, because I think 
I, I, I guess I can speak for experience in this kind of like in this vertical here, like the people that do have those conversations with family members and do Mm -hmm. that planning, Mm -hmm. there's a softer landing. Yes. There's no Mm -hmm. fighting. There's no, Mm -hmm. there's nothing. I want this written. I want that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know? And, and, And I mean, I get it. Like, those are hard conversations to have. And I think people mm-hmm. avoid, right? It's human nature. Mm-hmm. We avoid anything that's difficult, right? That mm-hmm. does not gonna be easy and, and not mm-hmm. be, you know, so optimistic and so positive. And I'm not trying to paint a negative into it, but no, I think people tend to yeah. not have those hard conversations mm-hmm. that are mm-hmm. thoughtful, talk to conversations with those loved ones. Um, right. And the, and the scary thing is, Judy, I can't tell you how many times people wait to the the very end when it's too late. When it's too late to take care of it. Yeah. Then you don't plan, somebody will plan it for you. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um, I got a couple of questions here left for Mm -hmm. you. Um, Someone listening to the podcast um, in a very similar situation, they just get diagnosed. Given your experience, what you've gone through, um, what advice would you give that person listening on the other line, um, given what you've gone through and what you've learned through your journey with pancreatic mm-hmm. cancer? Um, well, one is, you know, get your medical team in order. Like nobody has an oncologist in their back pocket, you know, if they've not had this experience before. So is to, you know, go and uh, with recommendations from your primary, perhaps. Like I know so many people right away want to go right to, the place with the trials and everywhere else, but they might have to travel for three or four hours to take care of it. I would say first look locally and mm-hmm. make you're comfortable with your, that there's a good bedside manner, comfortable with your oncologist and that they have all the right protocols. And I, and we did have that with Texas oncology. Um, uh, and then, and then don't hide from it. Like I was doing, let people know um, because they can help you if, if only to, pray or bring you a meal. Like, I just didn't want any of that. Don't, don't worry about it. Um, well, the un- unfortunate thing with cancer patients is everyone will start telling you about who they know had cancer and they died, blah, blah, blah. Just let those things roll off of you and say, this is not my story. That was their story. You know, I can't tell you how many times people, when they find out all of a sudden they're telling me all about somebody that they knew when I'm like, okay, well, that was nice. Don't just let it roll off your shoulder and and go on. So, um, and then, you know, find a support system if you can, you know, it's, and, and get in touch with, because Project Purple and PanCam, PanCam has wonderful um, resources, et cetera. They sent me a whole thing on a a nutrition, et cetera. I got a purple blanket, you know, it's, they're a wonderful organization. Yeah, there's so, so many great groups. There's so yeah. many great groups out there, and I, I think you know, you, you summed it up. Like, there, there's plenty of like that. It's it's frustrating when we hear stories mm-hmm. of people um, who don't get support. But there's mm-hmm. so many groups out there. Whether it's you know nutrition, mm-hmm. meals, transportation, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, not only in our space but also in just the cancer space as whole. And I think the other thing too. Um, and I've heard this, like many of the centers, um, even the, the smaller centers have wonderful resources, you know, they so do. it's, mm-hmm. there's people out there that want to help. I got, um, in fact, I got counseling through, through the center, through a thing I was reading at Texas Oncology to, to, you know, call them up and they hooked me up with the counselor 
that is that we visit with weekly. And it's it's been a wonderful free resource for me. And I'm like, whoa, you know, because uh, it's paid for by this other thing. So it's 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 good. So there are people out there and organizations out there that can be navigate through this. Oh, absolutely. That can help you through the journey. My last question here before we're going to share with our audience where they can connect with you. This is a loaded question. There's no right or wrong. It's your definition, how you define it. But how do you define pancreatic cancer? What's your definition of it? Given it's a your beast. Experience? For me, it's a beast. It's an aggressive, um, stubborn cancer. And um, we just have to tackle it as best we can. I have a thing people keep, you know, I have warrior, a friend of mine sent me a warrior thing. And that's often what I feel like. And I put my armor on my um, blanket when I go to the chemo room or, you know, the prayers, whatever it is, I just load myself up to, to fight this, you know, beast that's here. But yeah. So I don't think of it as a blessing. <laughs> it's just, it's like, dang it. But yeah. Mm-hmm. It's powerful. Judy, uh, someone listening to the podcast, if they want to reach out to you or follow your journey, I know uh, we find many of our guests on social media uh, sharing their journey. I think you mentioned, you know, in the beginning you were like hesitant about sharing anything, but you know, that has <laughs> oh, changed. I've, yes. Where's mm-hmm. the best place for someone to connect with you or follow your journey? Probably on Instagram um, because I've been much more open about putting things on Instagram, but I was trying to figure out what's my Instagram name. I'm going to find it right now. (laughs) Yeah, it must just be Judy, T-I-X-I-E-R. It's actually Judy T-C-A. Oh, it is? Well, J-J-T-C-A, yep. Oh, yeah, that's what it is. Follow. I see here you got your... uh, Oh, you're following me, good. I'm following you right now. So this is how this (laughs) works. This must be your granddaughter with the lovely... Oh, uh, yeah. Making some... I love it. And then they, then you're at church. Mm-hmm. I love it. I love it. Awesome. So follow you on Instagram. Um, you can, I, I think if you type in someone's name, it comes up as well. So Judy, yeah. T-I-X-I-E-R. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Or J-J-T-C-A, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, J-J-T-C-A. Mm-hmm. Judy, thank you for thank sharing you. your journey with us here on the Project Purple mm-hmm. podcast. Um, it's an inspiration. And I, and I truly mean that anytime we have survivors and fighters on our podcast, uh, it's mm-hmm. just amazing to share people's stories, their journey. That's why I get up in the morning every day. Um, mm-hmm. you know, this journey started because of my dad, but, uh, right. it's evolved. And, you know, the, the more people that we get out on our podcast that are beating this thing, what you're doing, mm-hmm. You're still mm-hmm. alive. Um, you're a survivor. Mm-hmm. Still um, here. Mm-hmm. That's why we're 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 doing what we're doing. And and there's so much happening in this space. Like we've had many doctors on in the last year of of so many novel new treatments that potentially mm-hmm. could be those game changers. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, that's that's what this is about. The longer you're in the game, the more opportunity yeah, you have to the, stay in the game. Exactly. Exactly. And and thank you for all your do for all that you do. And um, I had heard your podcast before. I thought, oh, that was really good. <laughs> like, and I, I think I contacted the person who you had as a interviewee and thought, this is, this is good. You know, so, but thank you for the opportunity. I appreciate it. It's awesome. 
Judy, thank you for being a guest on the Project Purple right. Podcast. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Project Purple Podcast. If you like what you hear today, feel free to share this episode. Follow us wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on our YouTube channel. And till next time, please be safe. That's a wrap of the Project Purple Podcast. Thanks for listening. Thank you.